Mix never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that is suffering from post-con blues. Well, actually, it's more like I'm suffering from post-con blues. Uh, my name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as normal, would be my brother Peter, but he is actually uh, sitting this one out because he could not attend C2E2 with me this past weekend, uh, and he decided that it would probably be better if I just recorded all the intros to the audio I took and the interviews I got um, and kind of give you a quick regaling of the convention, and then he can enjoy the episode as a fan of the show and just kind of listen to my adventure that way. Um, so I will uh, give you a quick rundown of the con. It was a fantastic convention. Um, I, had a, I had a lot of fun. Um, ran into some old friends, ran into some new friends, um, and it made me realize this year, more than any other year, that, and probably because I was by myself, that conventions are like a test in patience, because once you get to the con, you gotta kinda, you walk through security, and then you gotta stand in line and wait for the doors to open, and then the doors are open, and then you move to the next line, and you're waiting for a panel, you're waiting to meet a celebrity, or you're waiting to buy something, or you're... It's it's weird. It's like you have these. It's it's a series of lines, and there's a line for the bathroom, or there's a line for food. It's just it's a it's just a giant test in patience. Um, but the best part about it is this is a safe place, and it's a place where everyone just wants to hang out, have a good time. No one cares about. There's no negativity. Everyone loves everything, and this is one of those situations where everything is awesome, and everyone's just into the things they want to be into. Um, so yeah, let me give you a quick rundown of C2E2. Like I said, I had a great time this year, and uh, there's some really cool stuff that kind of went along the way. So when I walked in uh, Friday morning, the first thing I did was kind of beeline it over to Stephen Amell from Arrow. So Stephen Amell, lead actor from the show Arrow, was there this weekend. Um, I was not allowed to have a recorded audio interview with him, but I was able to talk to him. Um, and it was a really nice, uh, brief little... Uh, chat that we were able to have um and he was he was really gracious with his time he was a really gracious guy in terms of like just talking to me for a minute and um we it was kind of a bittersweet conversation if you will because it was uh we talked about the ending of the show and that he's gonna miss hanging out with his, you know his co-stars and he said it's weird being uh out of production and knowing he's not waking up tomorrow and going to a shoot um so it was kind of just a bittersweet interview, but it was really nice to actually get the chance to meet him and talk to him. Um, and he signed the uh, he signed my season one Blu-ray for me, so that was a nice addition to my collection. Um, after uh, I left Stephen Amell, I decided it was a good time to get my bearings and kind of wander the floor because I always feel like at a convention you need to wander the floor and. Um, you need to kind of get your bearings of where things are, especially if if you run into friends and like, oh, I'm over here, I'm over there, um, where's the panels at? Um, you need to do that. So uh, after that, I went to, um, after I wandered the floor a little bit, got my bearings, uh, the Del Rey booth was there. 
um, Delray Publishing was there, and I walked over to the booth. Um, right before the con opened, Lucasfilm dropped this nugget of information that they're starting a uh, Sky, uh, sorry, not Skywalker, a Star Wars High Republic, uh, which is a new era of storytelling in the Star Wars universe. Um, and I spoke with uh, Tom from Del Rey. Um, he uh, he was gracious enough to give me a few minutes of his time to kind of talk about the um, to talk about this new era of storytelling that Lucasfilm is going with in terms of books and comics. And I wonder if that's going to have any uh, shed any light onto the next uh, direction for the movies because, and I say that because we don't know where they're headed, and there's so many rumors about them doing the old Republic. So with that being said. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to the quick interview. So here is myself um, talking with Tom from Del Rey. All right, we're here with uh, Tom from Del Rey. Uh, we are uh, taking a look at uh, Star Wars High Republic, which is a whole new era of storytelling that Lucasfilm and, well, I guess Disney now is going to explore in terms of the books and comics. Uh, Tom, could you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. So as was revealed, uh, it's Friday, I think. Yes, it's Friday, it's Friday the yeah. 28th. Um, revealed earlier this week, um, in a big uh, presentation, uh, what was formerly known as Project Luminous has now been revealed to be the High Republic, which is a kind of new era in Star Wars. It's set 200 years before the Phantom Menace, so you know, 200 years before the events of the Skywalker saga, as everyone knows. Um, and it's a time during the Republic where there are lots of Jedi, as you probably have seen from concept art and the book covers that are out. Lots of Jedi out in the galaxy, getting to be Jedi. Um, and so it's a new place to tell stories and tell some stories that people haven't really probably seen before in Star Wars or haven't seen um, as recently in Star Wars uh, just because of the number of Jedi that are around. Right, right. Um, um, have you had a chance to read the novel yet? I know, it, I know it says on the book over there it's like coming like, and it's got the date, but do you, ever, do you get to read early books? Do you have like a spoiler-free, hey, you need to check this out kind of review? Or? I mean, it's, I think just based on the, A, the fact that the cover for the first book uh, Light of the Jedi by Charles Sewell is so gorgeous that everyone should just read it just on that. But um, just because of the scope of the entire project, all the great creators involved from Charles Sewell to Kevin Scott to Claudia Gray, Justina Ireland, Daniel Jose Elder, um, you know, the cast of thousands of people who work on the books and the comics, and the fact that it is across all of the amazing publishers from Delray, Marvel, IDW, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's really going to be something special and something big and something cool. Um, and I think it's uh, an awesome next step for Star Wars storytelling. So that would be the big pitch for why you should read it. Um, right. And I think in a, I, when I saw it, when I saw the uh, reveal online, just over like Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that, I was kind of surprised just because of the uh, revert back beyond the prequels, where the prequels kind of got you know trounced on a little bit by fans for a little while there. And I feel like the prequels are coming up. Like I feel like they're aging well enough, and everyone's like more acceptance of them now. And now we're going to go back even farther. Do you think that's an odd choice, or no? I think it's just about finding the place to tell cool, interesting Star Wars stories. And I think as um, if you watch any of the materials, they released a really great four-minute video people can find on YouTube through the Star Wars channels, and a really great article talking about finding the best place to tell Star Wars stories and finding a way, finding a place to tell new kinds of Star Wars stories. Um, and this just happened to be the kind of thing that came together. Um, and I think it's gonna be a really fruitful place that people are gonna see some cool stories maybe they haven't seen before or seen some new flavor to stories that perhaps they you know, already know in terms of Star Wars. Like, oh, I know who Jedi are, I know what right. Jedi are, I know what Jedi do. Well, we get to take a whole new cast of Jedi characters maybe you've never heard of before and do some interesting things with them. Great, well, Tom, thank you for your time. I'll let you get back to your uh, uh, 
your table and enjoy the rest of your con. And sure. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. All right. So that was Tom from Del Rey talking about High Republic. It sounds really cool. Um, in terms of Star Wars reading, I've kind of gotten away from Star Wars books a little bit um, because I read so many of them back in the day, and then they did this weird thing about what's canon and not canon, and um, I decided to be better to like step back a little bit. I have gone back and dabbled myself, um, but from what I heard from Tom and like a little off-the-air conversation he and I had, it sounds like a really cool thing, so I might be jumping into the High Republic when that book releases. Um, the next thing I did on Friday was, uh, I went, I attended the DC Nation panel. This was really cool. Um, actually, wait, before I go to DC Nation, um, I was on my way to the DC Nation panel, or at least getting ready to go in that direction, and I ran into an old friend of mine, uh, from back in my Decipher, uh, Star Wars gaming days, uh, Tony Miravola, um, who hosts, um, who hosts the You Got Monologuing Pod, You Got Me Monologuing Podcast, um, so Tony, if you're listening, uh, the podcast, I checked out your podcast. It's great. It was also really great to catch up with you and chat for a little while. That was actually probably a cool highlight for Friday just because I hadn't seen him in a really long time and it was nice to catch up. Um, so yeah, uh, that was really cool. Like I said, you run into, you run into all kinds of people, old friends, new friends, you make line friends, which is really kind of cool while you're waiting for stuff. Um, anyway, uh, so after I left Tony and headed upstairs to go to the DC Nation panel, DC Nation panel was really cool. Um, Tom King, uh, Mitch Gardera, um, uh, Joe Hill was there. It was a it was a really good panel in terms of um, the writers and artists and stuff. And we got to hear about some new books coming about Harley Quinn and the Joker, and we got to hear about some new uh, a new comic about Adam Strange, which Tom King is working on. Tom King, you'd probably know him from a lot of the uh, uh, Batman books that he's written. And uh, Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, uh, who wrote Lock and Key, and he's got a whole bunch of books coming out for DC. It was a really cool panel to listen to them talk. I didn't take any audio from that um, because it was a because it was a it was a ton of people in the panel, and they basically spent a lot of the time letting fans talk and ask questions. I didn't want to. I didn't really want to grab a lot of that audio because. You guys, as listeners, weren't there, so you, or maybe you were there, but you might not have, like, it, it's weird to listen to other people ask questions at a panel you're not at, but so I just decided to not take the recording from that from that panel, um, but it was, it was really cool, and there's some funny bits when they decided to try and uh, uh, discuss, like, how Burger King became the Burger King, and how we're all scared of Ronald McDonald, it was a, it was a funny little bit, um, but that was more of a, you had to be there. Um, all right, let's move into Saturday. Uh, Saturday was actually a really cool day because there was a bunch of my friends there, so it was kind of cool to wander the floor with them and see what they're into, into and whatnot. Um, I started off Saturday morning going to the Critical Role panel, or the Talks Machina panel featuring Critical, the cast of Critical Role. Um, that was one of the coolest panels um, I went to. That one I did not grab any audio from, and only because they spent the whole panel basically opening the floor to the fans to ask questions. Um, so just know that it was a pleasure to see the cast. It was a pleasure to hear them talk about, uh, the game Dungeons and Dragons and talk about the show Critical Role and, you know, where they're headed, where they came from and all that stuff. It was really great. Right after the Critical Role panel, it was two panels back to back for me. Um, Critical Role right into the Spotlight of Jim Lee panel. Now here's what I'll say. The Jim Lee Spotlight panel, um... I'm going to explain what he did, but I need to cover something first. So right before C2E2 launched, so like this is the Thursday before C2E2, 
it was announced that Dan Dido, CEO or co co publisher of DC Comics, was uh, had stepped down from his position at DC Comics. What's interesting about that is that he, I thought it was more of like a retirement, and then there were rumors on the internet about how he was let go and fired and you know left DC Comics, uh, forcefully left DC Comics. This was really strange knowing this and then going into the Jim Lee panel. So when I went into the Jim Lee panel, I was under the impression that um, someone is eventually going to ask about Dan Dido. So Jim Lee very uh, gets up on stage, and before anything happens, he squashes any kind of conversation about the Dan Dido situation. He basically did a PR move where it was kind of like one of those, we're moving in good places, we got a lot of great people behind us, um, positive directions, that kind of thing. And it was basically a don't ask me about the situation. Let's just talk some comic books. So I'm going to turn the audio over to him and let him talk in a minute. But I want to explain to you guys what he did. Um, so while he's telling his story, he basically told his life story about him getting into comics and the companies he worked for. But and this was unique. And because this is an audio podcast, I'm going to let Jim tell his story because uh, I got the audio here. But What's important for you to understand is while I was listening to him talk about his time at Marvel, he is sketching this beautiful Wolverine uh, photo. He's just doing this quick hand sketch of Wolverine, and there's an overhead watching the table, and you could watch him sketch it. And then he started talking about his time at uh, Image Comics, and he starts sketching this amazing grifter. And then he starts talking about his time in DC, and he starts sketching Batman and Wonder Woman. And then he gave all these sketches away at the end of the at the end of the panel. But what was really cool was he he did, we got to watch this master at his craft. And we got to watch him do these, this amazing artwork while I listened to him talk about his time in comic books. I cut the audio off right before he opened, right when he opened up the floor to questions. Um, but uh, I will let Jim uh, do his thing. So here is the Jim Lee panel. I hope you enjoy. This is probably the longest piece of audio I have for the entire uh, for this whole episode. So enjoy. Here's Jim Lee. Hello, everybody. You guys hear any uh, good rumors lately? Anything out there? Address. So uh, thank you very much for the introduction. So I am Chief Creative Officer for DC, but I'm also the publisher. And uh, I'm going to actually use a couple minutes to kind of talk about something that's happened at DC. It happened last week. Meanwhile, I'm looking for my pens. I forgot to bring papers. Does anyone have any blank backing boards as well? Fantastic. All right. Bring those up in a little bit. Hold on. So, have any of you guys been to a panel like this before? Like one of my spotlights? I've been to Chicago a long time. Okay. All right. Yeah, no. And recycle all my old jokes. Perfect. All right. So, so like, yeah, exactly. All right. So, let me just start by saying, um, you know, to address some of the stuff that's out there. Um, yeah, there's rumors. I can, you know, there's just speculation. I wouldn't put any credence into it. Um, DC has been around for 85 years. We're gonna be around for another 85 years. Yeah. <laughs> hope to be doing this panel in 85 years. Uh, I'm a very optimistic guy. Um, and look, we're a huge, important part of Warner Brothers. Decades, and ultimately, when you look at DC, the actual strategy of DC is to put publishing in the center of everything that we do. Uh, it is the source material that drives the media engine. You know, 
all these movies and TV shows and animated uh, movies, video games and merchandise, all that kind of stuff. So obviously you can see the importance and what the value we bring to the greater whole. Uh, and so it's my intent really going forward, you know, as the publisher to lean into the collective years of experience that are in my team. You know, I think actually one of the reasons I actually sold Monstrum to DC was they had an amazing deep bench. Uh, so between, you know, Hank Canals who runs sales and marketing, Bob Harris who's the editor-in-chief, Alison Gill who's in charge of production and manufacturing, you know, these are the heroes behind the scene. You have Courtney Simmons in charge of publicity, Andy P's in charge of business and finance, uh, Jay Coburn is their legal guy, Sandy Yee's in charge of franchise. Like, so there's a ton of people that basically we all work together. And I would say the collective years of experience we have is probably like 120 to 150 years at this point. And I've worked with these people for, for years now, and we know their business inside and out. So rest assured, the company's in really great hands. We have some amazing things planned for you guys. And I, if I could spend a minute talking about the creative work that we're doing, let me just say that, again, it's hard for me to talk about things that we haven't officially announced, but at the same time, I realize we have teased some things out. But our intent really is not to um, do a line-wide reboot that uh, ages up characters and kind of shuffles them off to the side. You know, our focus, talking to the editorial team, our, our focus really is to continue what we've done best, which is to really create character-driven stories, pairing the right creators and the right characters, and organically developing a universe that is uh, inclusive, diverse, and that we tell amazing stories that, that you guys love. And, uh, and I'll just share with you, really, um, a little anecdote um, to kind of close this section off before we get to the drawing part. Um, when I started as Chief Creative Officer uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, I was introduced to a person that ran a very big division within Warner Brothers, and so you know, I was just trying to be cool and feel like I belong there. And I, but inside, I was very nervous and just very kind of like, gosh, I got to say something right. I got to have the right opinion. I got to have the right analysis of what we've done and what we could be doing. And I had all this pressure, kind of all these thoughts running around my head. And uh, this person basically looked at me and said, like. Welcome to the team. We're gonna have a lot of fun, and uh, that just—you know—that was just like the perfect thing to say to someone, right? Because maybe he sensed that that I was quite nervous or whatever. But it, it put me completely at ease, and I think it really reminded me of our true mission here. Like, you know, we're telling stories about characters that can fly and go into alternate dimensions. This should be a lot of fun, and um, it really just kind of put me in the right mindset going forward, like approach this from this point of view and uh, good things will happen. So I wanna share that with all of you guys. Um, if you are new to a panel like this or you're new to DC, I just wanna welcome you guys to the team and we're gonna have a lot of fun, all right? So now I'm gonna move to the talent part of the, of the show. <laughs> So normally what I do is I kind of talk like this shit. All right, this this panel, thank you. That, you're very optimistic. All right. Um, two should work. Um, so usually at this panel, what I do is I, I, you know, there's a lot of panels here where creators come and talk about projects they're working on, things that they want to promote. Um, 
typically I'll, I'll do some of those panels, but this is actually one of my favorite panels because it's all about talking about the creative process, talking about the journey that I took uh, from being a fan and breaking into the business, and really doing Q&A and kind of interacting with the audience, kind of sharing maybe some of my insights or, or tips on how to, to do that. And I, and I like doing it because it's not solely restricted to comics. Yes, we're gonna talk about how to draw Batman or, or stories from my past, but to me, it's, it's a story that we can all understand and relate to, which is, I have this dream, this is something I wanna do, how do I get to do it, right? And, and that really has been my story, my journey, and uh, so I, I want these things to be as motivational and inspirational as possible. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys want to break into the comic book industry or if, if you want to become something that you're not. Um, and I feel like a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today will hopefully kind of inspire you and help you on your own personal journeys. All right? So, um, how many people know who I am here, first of all? <laughs> Dramatic 
exit before they realized how serious I was about trying to do something very different. And they finally supported me in, in what I wanted to do, which was to become a comic artist. Uh, so I, I start, I broke in, I graduated college in uh, 86, got a degree in psychology, as I mentioned. And I started working on samples. Um, I started bailing out all the samples to different companies. And uh, my goal was to really work at Marvel. When I was a kid, when I was a young kid, I was a huge DC fan. When I was a teenager, I got more into the Marvel stuff. X-Men was my favorite book at the time. Uh, and so my dream was to really kind of go to Marvel and draw the X-Men, right? So, so I was at Marvel for what, uh, five years, I think? Five or six years? Sorry. It's awesome. 
Where's the cigar? I don't know if I'm allowed to put the cigar anymore. Don't work there anymore. <laughs> All right. Oh my god, I'm so rusty. Okay. So, this is my visual representation of the years I spent in Mormon. Woo! Thank you. So, uh, so that was really amazing, being able to kind of visualize what I wanted to do and, and really kind of move from being a fan uh, and having like these crazy kind of almost fan fiction type stories and then being able to get into the business and uh, work with the people I idolized like Chris Claremont and John Byrne later and, um, and get to talk to them. It was just crazy. Um, and, but then I left. <laughs> So I ripped this drawing in half. No, uh, <laughs> that would have been a good one. Anyway, I'm gonna give these away at the end. In Seattle, but no, no. I'm I love you guys. I love you guys. You guys are the best. I would not do you that way. <laughs> All right, and then uh, I left. Um, with a bunch of other artists who are insane, if I can add that. No, they're, they're all good guys. So, like, I never, I, I had just one sister, and uh, Image Comics was, was the next thing I, I worked on. Right? Uh, it was five or six different artists, depending on which version of the origin story <laughs> you want to believe. But we all worked at Marvel. We were all more or less peers of one another. We all kind of broke in the business around the same time. And we realized we wanted to shake things up and kind of the things that we created and um, you know I, I think it was really at the time you know it was it was really kind of addressing the power balance I think between the companies that own the characters that everyone loved and then the creators who obviously made a big impact on how the readers interpreted and, and loved the characters and so part of it was really kind of forging our own destiny, but also asking for the respect we felt we were, we were due. And that departure led to a lot of interesting, I think advances, improvements for the industry. You know, computer coloring was something that we really kind of uh, put a big investment on. Uh, we hired a lot of new people to come in and do the digital coloring for the comic books. Um, we created a lot of new characters. We hired and brought in and trained a lot of new artists, people like Jeff Scott Campbell, Bermejo, uh, Carlos Danda, um, Travis Shray, uh, a lot of a lot of really talented folks came through the Image Comics studio systems and are professionals today, or music directors, or uh, you know uh, storyboard artists. So there's a lot of great creative work that was done. Um, How'd you know? <laughs> Every drawing will have the same hair right there. Let's do this. Alright, yeah. So, um, but that was a crazy era in that um, we were really kind of thrust into the limelight and 
you know, we were all like artists and we hadn't really learned the business. And I feel like uh, we probably made every mistake we could possibly make as business people, but things were so successful, like the industry kind of forgave us in some respects, in some of the poor decisions we made. Things were just so brisk and there was such demand for everything we were, we were creating. And that kind of lifted all boats. I mean, you look at uh, sales across the board, Marvel and DC both were in their heyday and selling millions of comics every single month. It was uh, a very heady time period. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that were interested in kind of making movies and TV shows based on our characters, toy companies that wanted to be video game companies that wanted to make them. So, it was, uh, at one point, there was a company that wanted to make Image Comics on Ice. That was a project, actually. <laughs> Sharing, this, uh, that's real. And uh, none of us knew how to ice skate, so that went badly. But no, was, we just started down because, I don't know, I, we were too cool for that. But now, as a parent, I was, I'm like going, we should have definitely done that. How cool would it have been? Spawn, like, lifting, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> Drifters twirling around. That would, come on, that would be pretty cool, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, hold on, let me finish this up. In 1998, so about six years, and, and you'll see that there's a trend here, which I'll talk about a little bit. I did that for about six years, and uh, it reached the point where. Um, it was kind of burning me out. It was crazy. I mean, I wasn't drawing a lot, but I was taking all these meetings with people. I remember there was one toy company called Tyco in New Jersey, and they wanted to meet, and I flew on the red eye from San Diego, arrived into Philly, um, took the meeting at like 11 o'clock in the morning, grabbed a cheesesteak, got back on the plane, and then flew back home. And that was like a normal thing to do. And when you're in your late 20s, you can do it physically, but it was just, that's what it was like constantly, like so-and-so wants to meet. We didn't know how to say no, you know, obviously we took that meeting on, you know, image on ice, right? We, we would meet with anyone and everyone. And I, I don't think we had the discipline to, A, create a strategy, and then B, use that strategy to help dictate the types of meetings that we would take. We were just so enamored to be kind of running our own enterprises that we were just curious to, to hear what everyone wanted to do uh, with us with these characters. But anyway, one of the reasons I sold to DC was that, um, as I mentioned, mention, they just have an incredible depth, we have an incredible depth uh, to our bench. Um, they had such a great staff of people with collective years of experience in all facets of the business, you know, having been around for much longer than we were. And so, just made sense, and especially as the business shifted from periodicals to trade paperbacks, I don't know if you guys were around that period of time, but the, most of the business was what kind of focused around selling periodicals, but then trades actually became about half, 50% of our business. And to kind of really penetrate the book market, the casual book market, it meant publishing a lot of books and putting it out there on a returnable basis, which meant really investing a lot of capital into things that um, you might not get an immediate return on. So from a 
business capital perspective, it, it required me to really take a long pause at the, the resources we had in terms of capital and, and whether we could, whether publishing tens of thousands of copies of all our trades and basically putting them out there and not getting a return until three years or five years down the line. And so um, being able to tap into DC's deep pockets and their expertise and really having created this marketplace um, with a lot of their books that were published in the mid-80s, um, played a big role in it. And so when I started in 98, they signed me up for a five-year exclusive thing, and I figured, okay, I'll be there for five years, that'll be that transition period of time, and thereafter, who knows what I'll do. Um, and for a long time, I actually didn't do anything uh, until a Batman opportunity came up, and that was uh, Batman Hush. Yeah. No, you know, 
no, no harm, no foul. We haven't even announced this project. So, so Jeff and I worked on this secretly. He would send me the, uh, the scripts, I would draw them, and I think I drew nine issues, no, six issues of the 12 issue art before we finally shared with other people that that, that had been done. People loved what we did and started to seriously think about putting it into the, the actual run because we had so many issues done. And I think finally, by the time they solicited the book and put it in the catalogs, um, I think I had nine issues done and a year of story to be published, right? And uh, I barely made that 12 issue after a year. Uh, so there's just something uh, I think about, the 12th issue also was double sized, I think. But um, as it started going, as it started coming out, it was very successful. It just kind of drove a lot of demand, and you know, there's interviews. There's a lot of stuff that happens after a book is announced and it's successful that kind of eats up your time. Um, but that was like probably the funnest project I've worked on at DC because a I got to work on Batman. Um, B we got to really explore a lot of his rogues gallery and do almost every villain I think short of like Penguin and Two Face who were I think on one panel each or something like that and it was really kind of like the Batman story if you could only draw one Batman story in your career what would that look like uh, and that was kind of the approach we took and uh, and honestly I had no idea how impactful it would be but it's interesting years later now like. Approaching the 20 year point at this point, how many people have told me at conventions like this um, how it got them into the comic book business or brought them back into the business? And I find that to be probably one of the most flattering and kind of coolest things you'd be able to hear um, of how your work can impact someone, not just bring them into the business, but or, or maybe even just inspiring them to become an artist or a graphic artist themselves, right? And so. Um, that's something that's always, it's something I didn't really think about when I broke into the business, the kind of the impact beyond the enjoyment of reading the story, but how what we do can shape young people's dreams and, and help people achieve the things that they want to do, especially in the creative arts. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, anyway, so that was a lot of fun. and. Uh, I've been at DC since 98, so that is 22 years, yeah. And everything before that point, I, I, I started seeing a, a sort of natural rhythm, like every five or six years, I tended to move on to the next big thing, right? A new challenge, a new, a new opportunity. I was at Marvel for, from what, 87 to 92, Image was 92 to 98, so it was about six years. Um, and the first five years at DC, I did Hush, I did Superman for Tomorrow. Those couple years of transition at the beginning, I didn't do much of anything. And then after that, uh, I, I worked on this video game project called DC Universe Online. I, don't know if I, right? I think I would have left DC at that time, and uh, this opportunity was happening. Paul Levitz, who was the publisher at the time, knew that I was a big gamer. I spent a lot of time doing research, uh, playing <laughs> Ultima Online and EverQuest. 
Okay, and I am back. So that was Jim Lee talking about his time in comics. Very, very cool uh, stuff. Um, I loved listening to it. I loved just just watching him do those art, do that artwork was amazing. Um, after the Jim Lee panel, I went back to the show floor, and I'm going to tell you, I walked out of that panel thinking to myself, I'll just head back to the show floor and wander around for a little bit because I had an interview coming up later in the day, and the amount of people waiting for panels was insane. And then I got to the show floor and the amount of people, it was just, it, I don't know if I've ever seen that many people at C2E2. So it was really nice to see the massive crowd. Um, I ran into some friends of mine uh, that were there shopping and hanging out with their, like other people. So I wandered the floor with them until my next interview. Um, the next interview I had, uh, so last year at C2E2, I was waiting for a uh, D&D panel and uh, the panel was actually titled How to Not Suck at Tabletop Gaming. And um, while I was waiting for that panel, I'm watching this girl get these, basically get a professional cosplay photo shoot done. Like, just, like, right next to me. They're doing this, like, just kind of off to the side, maybe, like, 20 feet away from me. They're doing this quick photo shoot. And I'm just, like, watching, completely entranced. Um, she was dressed like Spider-Gwen. And they were doing a really cool photo shoot. And afterwards, I walked up to her, introduced myself, you know, uh, we chatted for a brief minute, minute, and then I went off to my panel. Um, but it was just fun to watch, so I just wanted to tell her it was a joy to watch the photo shoot happen. Um, 
I recently saw that this girl, uh, um, her name's Hannah. Uh, I recently I saw that she was headed to C2E2, so I reached out to her and said, hey, you know, we met last year. Would you be interested in doing an interview about cosplay? Um, she graciously accepted. Uh, so what I did next was uh, I met up with Hannah. Uh, this is Hannah Balecki. Uh, she is... She's a cosplayer. I've been following her on Instagram for about a year. She's got some really cool. She's got some really cool costume stuff. She was really gracious with her time. I had a great time talking to her, um, and I'm gonna let that interview play. Um, Hannah, if you're listening, here's your interview. And um, yeah, all right, guys, I'll let this one go. All right, so we're here with Hannah Balecki. Um, she is a cosplayer that I we met last year in passing. Yeah. I watched you do a. Uh, you did a Spider Gwen like photo shoot. I yes. was just waiting for a panel, and I was just like entranced watching this photo shoot happen. Oh. And then I was like, I had to say like, hey, it looks great and everything. Um, how long have you been in, I guess, the cosplay game? Uh, First off, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. I'm super excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Back to my question. What what made you want to get into the cosplay game? Oh God. Um, I was raised in theater. I was always on stage since I was like six years old, and it kind of encouraged me to be really creative. So I've always been into the costumes. I learned how to do makeup through the drama world. I learned how to perform, how to take photos. I became a model. And also on top of all of that, I'm a huge nerd. So oh, aren't we all? We wouldn't be here. Exactly, if we were. exactly. <laughs> which is which is what got me into, into the cosplay community. I um, already liked costumes, I already liked makeup, I already liked being in front of a camera, and I'm a huge nerd. And what better way to bring all of that to your own hobbies. So right. yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's just a fun way to use the talents I was raised on. Right. Um, do you find it difficult to enjoy a convention as a fan while in cosplay? Because I know that you get stopped like every 10 feet <laughs> for a picture. Yeah, so. sometimes. And honestly, it is sometimes a little frustrating, especially when I'm here to do stuff in particular. Like today, like meeting you and had a photo shoot just before sure. this. Um, when I'm on my way somewhere and everyone wants to stop, and kids want pictures, which I love to stop for because who can say no to a six-year-old, but it's get stopped by adults who want photos and stuff, and I'm like, I have somewhere to be. But generally, honestly, I kind of love it. It's, it's kind of like being a mini uh, celebrity, and I get to go home and take it all off and not be when I don't want to be. Oh, so it's like absolutely. being a part-time celebrity without having to actually deal with the drama of being a celebrity. So you get to kind of piggyback off of someone else's fame, right. which is cool. And it's just a weekend of fun and a little bit of attention, which I'm nev not a shy person, so I'm, I'm okay with it. Sure. No, my, uh, I, was, I was with my brother one year, and he made this amazing Ninja Turtles costume. Like, I mean, amazing, like, paper mache head. It, was, it just looks phenomenal. Which turtle was he? Uh, Michelangelo. Ah, yes. But the problem was, was it? It was no, it might have been Raphael. I don't oh. remember what weapon he was carrying, but the I just remember the color of the. Ah. Uh, I just remember the color of the headband, but it was, it was interesting because I met him at the front of the entrance, and then I'm like, yeah, we'll walk around, and then he gets stopped like every five feet, and after about 20 minutes, I'm like, I'm gonna go look at stuff. You have fun because I, I say, wasn't in costume. Yes, I will say that is a hard thing is when you go with someone who is either not cosplaying or in a lesser known cosplay, and you're in something like today I'm in Supergirl. It's a very iconic uh, character. It's a very well-known character. Everyone wants to stop and get a picture with you. Um, whereas someone who's in a lesser-known character or just not dressed up at all, they have to kind of... They're, my boyfriend has a joke every year. He says, every year I'm, if I come with you, I'm going to start coming as a coat rack so that when you guys are ready for shoots, you can just hang your purses on me and then come and get them back later. Well, so that, it kind of feels like that when you're out of 
out of cosplay. That's kind of convenient. You're like, honey, will you just do that for me? Like, exactly. Right. But it's it's unfortunate for like them. And I, I've been on the other end of that where I don't dress up or I dress in a lesser known character and the other person's like, can you hold all my stuff? And that that's the one thing that gets frustrating. But besides that, it's I think it's a lot of fun. Awesome. <laughs> out of curiosity, so the Supergirl costume yes. looks fantastic. Thank you. So for the, those listening, because this is audio, um, she is dressed as Supergirl from the show, so not like a specific artist rendition like a Jim Lee or... Uh, um, Michael Turner, which those are some of my favorite renditions in terms of artwork. Um, but the Melissa Benoist Supergirl, like, I'm a big fan of the show. Everyone's heard me talk about it in Nauseam, and they know I'm a big fan of the Arrowverse and whatnot. So, um, what does something like this cost? Because this looks, like, real close to, like, um, film quality. Thank you. So, like, it looks, like, really well done. So, what does something like this cost if someone is, like, at all remotely, like, how do I get into something? You know so what I this, mean? So, like, this is really, I'm not going to be very helpful with this one because this costume was actually given to me. Oh, okay. But it's after years of struggle. So, three years ago, I knew I wanted to, ten years ago, I knew I wanted to do this character. But three years ago, I knew I wanted to actually start to put work into it. And I am not good at sewing. I'm the one for I'm one of those cosplayers who just does not do that stuff. I buy what I can, I'll find find found pieces and put them together, but I cannot sew worth my life. Um, but I commissioned a person online, I'm not gonna say any names, but I commissioned somebody That's to totally make me fair. a costume. <laughs> uh, I paid almost seven hundred dollars for it. Okay. It was supposed to be a replica and it came in looking like a party city costume. Uh, went back and forth with her, ended up returning it then I found someone else, a year later, I found someone else to make me a costume, and it never came in. Also about $600. Never came in. That's, so <laughs> That's sad and messed up at the same time. It was a lot, and I was very upset because as a kid, this character meant a lot to me, and I really wanted to be able to bring that back to kids. Can I ask what the character was? You Supergirl. Know, okay. Supergirl, sorry. Oh, well, <laughs> before we started recording, you said this was a long time coming costume, yes, so yes, now I understand I this is a long time coming this costume. This is a very long time. Ever since I was a little girl, Supergirl was my hero, and I wanted to be able to do that for other kids. A friend of mine who, is a, who does Superman, he put my post onto a Superman group on Facebook, and called out to literally all the supermen and were like, hey, does anybody know a girl who is getting rid of a Supergirl suit? And someone contacted me and, was, and said, hey, I have a friend of mine who got, is getting rid of hers. And I was like, oh, cool, how much is she selling it for? And he was like, he heard, she heard your story, she wants you to have it for free. So, wow, that's awesome. Yes, and it came in, it fit almost perfectly. I had to do a couple modifications, but besides that, The, it's, uh, the uh, cosplay community seems very uh, tight knit in that sense. And yes. like of all the other people I've talked to and like you're the first one I've actually like legit interviewed, mm -hmm. but like in people I've just talked to in passing, it just seems like you guys care about each other in terms of that. Yeah, I think we all kind of understand. I mean, we're obviously all different people, but we all kind of know that we kind of all come from the same world. Like we're all kind of about, we're the kids who are the nerdy ones. We like the ones in the corners with the comic books. We all kind of were a little bit of an outcast and it's kind of cool to be able to come here and just like be who you are and express yourself however you want without really the, any judgment, because that's kind of what you're supposed to do here, sure. which is really nice. Um, so. What, uh, you said you like Supergirl. Are yes. there any other, like, of your costumes, like, do you have any, like, what are the costumes, like, you've really, like, your favorites thus far that you've had to <sighs> I like so many. Um, my, one of my new favorites I've been doing, I've been doing Elsa a lot, but okay. it's not his cosplay. I work for a company called My Party Princess, and they, um, 
they have do princess stuff throughout the Chicagoland area. Sure. So they provide all the costumes and stuff, but I just got to be Elsa for the auto show here, which was awesome. Yeah, I actually saw a photo of that on Did you? Instagram, and the only reason I bring that up is because I probably had just left the auto show that day, and then I saw that photo later. I'm like, oh, we were in the same building. And oh, like, wow. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> um, uh, I really like that one. I just did um, Mal from Descendants as well. Again, I, borrowed the, I kind of borrowed some of the costume from my boss. But I got to do her yesterday for the con, and the kids love it. And honestly, I just like doing characters that, as a kid, would have inspired me. Okay. So, like, Mal is a new one for me that obviously wasn't around when I was a kid. But I know how important she is to these kids. I just I like being able to bring that back, kind of like nice. as giving it back. So. All right, then. Um, what about your fandoms? I mean, oh, yeah, God. you like Supergirl, but is there oh, like God. like a top like <laughs> like for example like Star Wars and Batman are my yeah. all-time top favorite like loves of the world. So um, that make you know so just like just a couple like where are you fall in terms of your fandoms? Yeah, um, you're gonna kill me since you're a Star Wars fan, but I'm a total Trekkie. That's totally fine. Like, Look to each his own. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I mean I love Star Wars too. I'm doing Padme tomorrow. Like I do love Star Wars, but I. Star Trek has always had a place in my heart. I, there was a girl over there earlier who had like the badge sideways, and I was like, let me fix that for you. Let me like, that. <laughs> I did a spiel right. to someone the other day why Kirk is not a womanizing dude bro, oh, he's actually I a was, soft boy. Like, I, I know Shatner's here at the con, and uh, George Decay's yes. here, and Carl Urban. Um, with the Star Trek presence here, years ago at the cons, you used to see full-dressed Klingons walking around, and for the longest time, I just feel like we haven't seen that, and then... Now I'm seeing Starfleet uniforms walking around the conning, and it's kind of like a nice little refreshing bit as opposed yeah. to they're not, the Klingons are not out like the way the stormtroopers are, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like this weird shift at the moment. But. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of stormtroopers because the movie just came out. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, usually you see a lot of ebb and flow in the, within the community and within the cons of what's most popular right now. Like, there was a billion Harley Quinns last year, not judging, I was one of them. So. <laughs> No, it make well, there's, so last year, I think it was last year, there was a tons of Spaceballs cosplay. Yes. And I'm like, why is this a thing? And Daphne Zunika was there signing autographs. And I was like, oh, that's why. That's why. And then I've actually seen a lot of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And yeah. I'm not sure what that's about. Because Honestly, I can't, can't I, I can't think of the connection on that one, but whatever. I mean, it's just a good a good movie, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't, can't judge it too hard. Sure. It's a good movie. Um, <laughs> All right, so here's the hard question for you. Oh, no. Okay, so this I'm is... Ready. So I, 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 I told you the kind of the format of the show, and we always do a top five list at the, yes. end, of the, at the end of the show. So um, my co-host and I, a while back, did this list, and it was kind of like, if you had all the money in the world, mm -hmm. what's your dream cosplay to make film accurate? Like, what would you want to do? Oh, and I know being, a, being a Batman fan, I really want, like... A screen accurate Batman costume yeah. that fit me. I just know it cost me a fortune. And the same goes <laughs> for a Stormtrooper costume because of Star Wars. But mm -hmm. in all seriousness, do you have any dream characters that if you endless amount of money, what would you want? Um, Aside from a perfectly screen accurate <laughs> Supergirl Honestly, costume. Honestly, <laughs> like, that's to be like totally lame, but this is the one I was looking forward oh, okay. to. This is the one that was like, if I have all the money in the world, I want a screen accurate Supergirl. Um, but yeah, I mean, for outside of that, ooh. Oh, that's such a good question. I knew it was going to be a hard question, and leading up to this interview, because we scheduled this, yeah. I was like, you know what, I'm going to hit her with it, I'm going to see what she says. And um, Let's see. It's probably going to be some kind of armor. I love doing the Ren fair, okay. so I'd love to do like a, a full female armor of some sort, like accurate armor that actually is an actual chest plate, not just cup in the boobs, so, <laughs> which right. I've seen a lot of. But yeah, I'd love to get like a 
accurate armor from just nice. a Renaissance Fair time period. Right on. Uh, the next one what I plan to do is going to be more medieval too. So. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, well, how about this? Uh, Hannah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking Thank to you. you. And I have a feeling you and I could probably talk much more. I'm going to pause and wait for yes. him to pass me. <laughs> It's all good. My, my <laughs> editor is going to love my notes on this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, no, it was a fantastic um, talking to you. you it was too. great meeting you last year, and I was glad we were able to connect. Um, so, in all seriousness, um, you are more than welcome to come on the show, even if it's like, hey, I want to come on and talk. Like, we can Skype you in. We'll, you know, figure it out. That yeah, kind of come. Thing. I mean, so. anytime you need someone to nerd out with, like, oh, I'm here. Absolutely. And I. <laughs> we can I'll, do a debate on Star I'll, Wars versus Star Trek. You know or what? Something. At some point, at some point, I'm gonna have to do that. You know. Yes. So, so yeah, we'll do that. Um, I'll be in touch. I'll let you know when the episode drops, and Sweet. we'll go from there. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. That was so. It was a really fun interview. She, Like I said, she was great with her time, and uh, um, hopefully she can come back and join us again sometime in the future episode of the show. Um, so that kind of, like, and then Saturday after that, I went back to the show floor, enjoyed some time hanging out and wandering around, did a little shopping myself, which was kind of cool, bought a new set of dice, that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, that brings me into Sunday. Um, all right, so Sunday morning. Um... If I didn't already, and I, I realized I didn't, any audio I got from the show floor, um, I wanted to let you guys know that uh, there are times that it gets loud on the show floor. So I tried to I tried to do the audio as best as I could without getting too much background noise, um, but it is the show, and it's sometimes it's hard to talk. Um, there's an interview coming up that I think was the worst in terms of like the audio, which kind of kind of sucks in my opinion because it was a really cool interview. Um, but let me uh, we'll just roll through this. So here we are on Sunday of uh, C2E2. This was a this was an interesting day for me because I had some friends coming and they were bringing their kids. So I said, "Why don't you pick up my son um, at home and bring him along?" Because it's the first time he's ever gone to a convention. Um, I thought it'd be kind of cool for him to see and hang out with me at the show. So I didn't do a lot of interviews on Sunday. It was kind of more of a I did an interview in the morning. I walked around with my son and some of the um, and a couple friends, and then I went and did an interview in the afternoon. So it was kind of nice to spend some time with my kid at. Uh, at the con. So with that being said, uh, the first interview I did in the morning, it was very early in the morning, I hit the show floor, um, and then I went over to the uh, 501st booth. Uh, if you don't know what the 501st is, in Star Wars lore, the 501st was Vader's personal garrison of stormtroopers. And uh, they, it's one of those names that, like in Star Wars mythos is it's a very recognizable name so most people who know who most people who are star wars fans know what the 501st is but the 501st in our reality um is a charity organization and they do these amazing things for kids and hospitals and you know they'll show up and dress up as stormtroopers and it's they, they do a lot of really great work well they're always there at c2e2 and they have this thing called family hq set up and they're showing off their costumes and they're taking pictures with kids and they're letting um, they do this thing. They did this thing where they let uh, kids shoot uh, Nerf darts at the stormtroopers for target practice, and they did sword demonstrations. They just do a lot of really great stuff for families that are trying to, you know, come out and see the con and that kind of thing. So, but because of the organization and because I love Star Wars, I went over to them and I met with this guy named Tom um, from the 501st, um, and uh, we had a nice, a really good talk. Um, so I'm going to let this, uh, here's another piece of good audio for you. So here is Tom from the 501st. Um, enjoy. Um, 
uh, from the 501st. You guys are Minnesota Garrison? Or am I no, uh, Midwest Garrison. Midwest Garrison. Illinois. I read that wrong. I apologize. Yeah. Um, so I've known about you guys for a long time, just the documentary from the Rose Bowl Parade. Uh, you said you're working on a documentary right now. Yeah, um, it's called Behind the Bucket. It's uh, set to come out uh, June 5th. It's one of our very first premieres. But we're going to travel it around with the film festivals and, uh, you know, eventually upload it to YouTube for everyone. But awesome. we're having some showings, you know, just to get that, like, atmosphere of everyone coming out and, and watching it. Yeah. Um, how long have you been a part of the 501st? Uh, it's, well, it's actually tattooed right on my arm. Uh, 4, 7, uh, 4 30, 17 is when I was officially made a member, but um, I had worked on my costume for about a year. I've known about the Bible first for years before that. Never really knew how to join, even though the booths are always here. It's just, right. you know, you kind of come through these events and you, you, you take your photo ops, but you know, once you start getting serious about wanting to do this, and it was always my destiny, I think, to become a stormtrooper or something, you know. Uh, I, I actually started really looking into it, and I'm like, I got to do this. This has to be done. So, right. Yeah. Um, and that's, honestly, I would love to do it. And my wife, it's very, like, that costs a lot of money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she's been kind of, like, pushing back on it a little bit. I'm like, I'd love to set it up. Yeah. Um, do you, there's many Stormtrooper permeations out there for the armors. That's Is true. your armor, like, classic Stormtrooper? Yeah, it's, it's, it's or, OG. Like, it's, okay. uh, but so what I do, though, is even though it's, um, so it's originally the, how it was made in 1977 for the original Stormtroopers, but uh, I add things. So back then, uh, too, they did the same thing. Uh, I do a, a heavy weapons, so I add a pauldron, I add yeah. a backpack, and I'm now I'm a heavy weapons trooper. And then there's little alterations and things like that you can do. Uh, you have, you know, the stand trooper, which are a lot dirtier, and then they're missing pieces. So or, right on, yeah. or one thing is swapped out. Uh, now it's getting crazy where you got all these different alterations of different stormtroopers. You know, you got to sell action figures. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It makes complete sense. And when yeah. you watch Solo and then those range troopers come out of the train, yeah. and you know what I mean. So yeah, like, for sure, I totally hear you. And it's funny because like uh, I I got the bug for the Black Series figures. Yeah. So like I'm always shopping for them, and that's one where like the troopers. I'm like, oh man, there's another trooper permeation. And I'm like, I gotta have it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. Like they're just so the troopers have always been one of the coolest pieces of the series yeah it's so. it's there's an appeal to having armor i think in general i mean you know uh, i've always loved medieval times too yeah and so i've always loved going to like the museums and looking at the armor and and everything so i think it's an extension of of that as well there's just something cool and intimidating about it that is you know the appeal yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you know we're um you know, we're the bad guys, you know, supposedly. Right. <laughs> you know, with the point I of guess view. It, I guess it depends on, yeah, point yeah. of view. But, you know, uh, we're the bad guys doing good is our motto, so. Well, I always like to say, I always, I had an argument with a buddy of mine, and I always like to tell him that, you know, we all argue, we all say that Palpatine was the bad guy, but it was pretty quiet for those 20 years in yeah. there after he took in power, exactly. you know what I mean? Yeah, and you, you know, <laughs> we're not, you don't see, uh, you know, stormtroopers kidnapping kids. Well, now they do, but, you know, right. I mean, like to become Jedi, you know, so. Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, uh, you like The Mandalorian? You love oh, I love show? The Mandalorian, okay, yeah. What, what do you think of Skywalker? Uh, S Skywalker? Rise of Skywalker. Oh, Rise of Skywalker, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it was good. You know, I didn't walk out of that, like, oh, pumped, and uh, like I did for, like, Rogue One. Sure. I loved Rogue One. Um, I love The Mandalorian. I, I'm excited to see each episode. I'm glad that they're not, like, throwing them all out and we're waiting for them. Yeah, I know. You know I, like, I, I wish the episodes were a little longer, but I do appreciate yeah, the... I, I know. do appreciate that. I actually had the privilege to uh, see the very first three episodes in a theater uh, before anyone else. Um, we, nice. Yeah, the 501st was invited, um, I think, kind of nationwide to, uh, to do this showing, so it nice. was kind of cool. Well, since we're here at the 501st booth, yeah. um, and we talked about your fandom a little bit, what are some of the things that people could look forward to checking out here at the booth? 
So we have lots of photo ops as far as uh, backdrops and uh, people in costume from all different, you know, uh, uh, you know, alterations of the movies, you know, from right. the original movies to the, you know, extended um, universe, you know. So we have the Mando Mercs, we have the uh, R2-D3 Builder Club, we have the Saber Guild, we have even in the Galactic Academy, which if you're not familiar with that, Galactic Academy is uh, anywhere from 17 and under. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so it allows the kids, like mostly troopers our kids, yeah. Yeah, troopers <laughs> in training to, to partake and help with us. We have a lot of Jawas. That's a, kind of an yeah, entryway yeah. costume uh, running around. My son's one as well. Uh, and it, it um, But it's great because the kids get the costume and, and be out and go to events. But they also, um, you know, kind of get familiarized with what it's all about and, and the charity work too, you know, because we... That's one of the things we we're most proud about is our right, charity exactly, work. and that's one of the it's one of the coolest parts of the organization, and it's yeah. one of the things that really opened my eyes. And I was like, you know, it's one thing to see guys walking around a stormtrooper armor, like, wow, they made a cool costume. Yeah. And then you find out what they're really about. Yeah. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Or? Well, yeah, absolutely, because that's really what my documentary is about. Um, it's about you know, you the people see us at the conventions, and you know, it's great. This is fun. This is always a, a great event for us. But you know what we a lot of us get passionate about is going to the hospital troops, going, uh, make, doing the things for animal rights and breast cancer and those kinds of things, helping raise money directly and indirectly, uh, indirectly by just being a, a presence at right, the right. at the event. You know, which will hopefully draw more people to donate and everything like that, or people will donate in our name. Yeah. So um, that's where we where we like to help and we we keep track of that and it's it's amazing the amount of money that we we raise you know every year using our fandom as this you know uh this vehicle for that you know we a lot of people say cosplay but we like to call it cosplay right yeah, yeah. and that's that's a beautiful way of putting that yeah so yeah um this is uh, one of the things we do on our show. Is every episode we end our episodes with a top five list. Okay. Okay. And we haven't. We've been kind of skirting around Star Wars a little bit because I know it's going to be a big battle in the <laughs> yeah, battle around I the bet. table when we have everyone's got one. an opinion. Everyone's got an opinion. So if um, in the, in the realm of a top five question, um, I know you said you love stormtroopers, but is there any like are there five costumes that you would love to put together for the five hundred first? Yeah, I mean, uh, my mecca is Boba Fett. You know, sure. I mean, he's always been a favorite character of mine. Um, I have a Mando, Mando armor, but I don't, um, I haven't put it together yet. But Boba Fett in itself would be something incredible just to have in my forte. Right, um, right. You know, um, a Wookiee, even though it's not uh, Bible verse, it's Rebel Legion. That's, that's yeah. an incredible costume. In fact, I might have an opportunity today to put one on. There's a really tall Wookiee walking around I yeah, saw. And that's, that's, an, that's an impressive costume. Yeah, so. that's my buddy Mike. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. I assume he's on stilts, or are you yes. not allowed to tell me the secret on that No, one? no, so, it's, okay. you, you nailed it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like drywall stilts. You know, right, right. some people um, have the height, and they just can extend themselves one way or the other. Uh, the, the individual you're talking about is, is pretty tall by himself. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. And no, when he puts himself on stilts, it's it's pretty crazy. I saw him yesterday, and I was like, wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So, yeah, that was cool. Um, so, so that's two. Um, you know, I mean, there's the alterations of, of Stormtroopers, too. I have... Um, I really like. The, well, with the alter, well, with the different permeations, is there a specific one that you always liked? I mean, besides the classic, like the Biker Scout, for example. Yeah, or do you guys, a Biker or do you, Scout. Actually, that is one of them because um, it's. Uh, I have 
uh, armor for it right now. I just none of it's cut up and put together. Sure. So I have a shadow scout. So that's it's a top five, and I'm, I'm I have it in my hands, but I just need to finish right, it. Right, right, you know? yeah, yeah. And then um, you know I really like the. Uh, the red guards, you know, those oh, guys look pretty cool. Uh, as in, like the OG red guards, yeah, the, OG. Opposed to the new Praetorian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, but if we if we are going uh, first order, I I do like the new version of the um, the Tie Fighter. I like their oh. I like their jumpsuit. I like the helmet. The, I like the, the red lines. stripe. On yeah. The red stripe over the eye or yeah. whatever. That that looks really cool. Yeah, they look really order, great. So. so I mean, those are pretty ones. We'll see what other ones come out. I mean, I like. I want to finish my Mando too, and Mandos are great because you can pick a theme kind of and your your own um, colors and whatever. So you have uh, custom custom you know you can customize yeah. them a little bit. But um, yeah, so I just want uh, I just want I just want to keep going. I don't think anyone yeah, yeah. stops at one. You know. No, no, you don't, and that's the thing. Like yeah. you know. And, um, it's just, it's really cool putting these costumes together and just, I mean, I'm looking across the room and I see like a handful of Jedi just doing photo ops with the kids and yeah. that's just awesome. And I, as I was walking into the booth, a whole like group of Jawas ran after an R2 unit as yeah. it like trolled through the crowd and it just put a smile on my face yeah. and that's really what this is all about anyway. You exactly. know what I mean? So I, uh, so back in 19, uh, would have been 83. I took a photo with Darth Vader. Now the Bible Force wasn't around back then. Now when you say Darth Vader, like a, I mean, someone a, in costume, or someone are we talking about like David Prowse? Okay. Yeah. Well, I have no idea. So th he was going on tour, this guy, and um, it was a big deal. I, I remember uh, very vividly, um, and it was during, it was probably right after Empire Strikes Back. So I don't know where the costume came from. I don't know if it was screen used and it was on tour and someone was just in it. But um, I had that photo. I still have that photo in my in my room in a frame, hanging up sure. all the time. So I, I, you know, for a long time until I got older, and I was like, I've met Darth Vader. I was excited, you know. So it's kind of cool to think that like any kid that ever took a picture with me would be thinking the same thing. Like I met a stormtrooper, right? You know, and and that's just it. You know, these costumes are screen accurate. We look like we walked off the the screen, you know. So there's it's not just a cheap host you know a Halloween costume and yeah. so that that's what really brings up the appeal of you know what we do and why we you know why how we how we craft ourselves to do sure. that now I uh, I was at Star Wars Celebration okay and I went to the Mandalorian panel yeah and they and Favreau talked about how they called up some 501st people to actually be extras in the show yes were you by any chance one of them no I would okay. have loved to have been but All yeah right. I, I found that out myself uh, after the fact you know sure and I just thought it was great because you know um, there's actually um, I'm on the boards you know everyone is but there was actually uh, a, a scene where there's a, a row of death troopers yeah and you can pick out the little differences in their helmets and you know there was a, like a debate almost about that for like a, a minute because they were drawing in you know five first members you know and yeah. some people change things but now it's like now it's canon you right. know so so it's great you know right, right. but but it was how cool is that that they will go to the bible first well for, being in the panel and then hearing that i just was like god that's amazing that you yeah. guys even did that and like knowing dave filoni's like i might know some guys and yeah. like just reached out i mean that's a fantastic yeah um with that being said reaching out where is the best place to contact you guys if someone wants to know or like where they can find you guys sure like, so if you're um if you're in illinois the midwest garrison that's 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 the garrison out here so each if for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, each state, uh, even even uh, a state would have two garrisons sometimes, depending on how big and how spread out they are. Uh, we've split two, 
Um, we used to be part of Michigan, and I believe, uh, but then um, we just got bigger, so we became the Midwest Garrison, uh, which is just Illinois. But you can go to our website, uh, Midwest Garrison. Uh, you can look us up on Facebook. Um, if you want an event or you want us out at there, you can uh, always get on the DM or send us an email on the sure. website. Um, someone's going to find it. Uh, as, a, as a member, you also can uh, be an event coordinator. So um, as the requests come in, you can choose one that you want to coordinate and then you would be in contact with that person and then whatever the event or whatever it's for. And that's the great thing about the membership is, you know, there's, you can be as involved as little or as, lot, as much as you want to be. So, um, you know, if there's an event that you don't see going on, like something you're passionate about and you want to help maybe raise money for, and it's not in existence, then, then create it, you know? Right. Um, so that's, that's one of the great things, you know, you, you have the power to do that. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure talking yeah, to you, absolutely. and I, I feel like I took up way more time than I was expecting to, oh, but this was just great. a great conversation, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's all we try and do on this show is just have good conversations. Very good. So thank you very much for coming. Um, so yeah, that was Tom from the 501st. That was a really nice uh, conversation we had. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, before I even got the microphone going, he was already, like, we were comparing Star Wars tattoos and stuff. It was it was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, that was, that was great to actually sit and talk some Star Wars at the con. Um, and then uh, I left Tom and started wandering around, uh, met up with my son and those and our friends and kind of wandered the floor with them and showing them stuff because most of them, this was their first time to see 2E2. So it was kind of nice for me being the super fan and knowing everything and getting to see the con through their eyes, which was really fun. Um, before I get to the last interview on the docket here, one of the coolest things I saw at the convention, and I saw this one Sunday morning and then I saw it again later in the afternoon, is uh, while I was waiting, so from my interview with Tom at the 501st, my son and our friends were not into the convention yet, so I was kind of wandering around, I was doing some shopping, and I'm looking at this booth, and uh, these, so everyone, most people know the game Cards Against Humanity, and at Cards Against Humanity, they had these guys walking around the booth with these giant fairy wings that said Cards Against Humanity on them. They were wearing these weird purple masks, and they were walking around in, like, hoodies and sweatpants and stuff, and they had fanny packs on, and they were just giving away, like, um, stickers and air fresheners and all kinds of weird stuff, and they were just, like, hitting people up in the crowd and, you know, giving them bookmarks, and it was just kind of funny. Um, well, I watched one of them walk up to a booth, and he points at this set of dice on the table and says, I want to buy this set of dice for a random person and the girl didn't understand what he meant and he goes I want to pay for this dice so when the next person who comes up to your booth and says I want these dice tell them it was paid for and to enjoy their day and he gave her the card that said please pay it forward which it was just it was just a kind of a cool gesture I'm like that's really cool of them well later on in the day um a friend of mine's kid wanted to buy this like prop replica sword like a cosplay like sword and it's like a $30 sword, so he's getting his money out of his wallet. And the guy at the booth stops him and goes, don't worry about it, your sword's been paid for. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? And he told about how the Cards Against Humanity guys bought the sword in advance and um, to just give it to a random person. And um, the, what was interesting about that is because that's I found out that the Cards Against Humanity guys hit a whole bunch of booths and just bought random things for people at random for the booth for the people in charge of those booths to just give away. It was really, really cool to watch that happen. Um, just in that pay it forward sense, that act of kindness. 
So um, we should all take a note from that and just pay it forward. Um, okay, final interview for the day. Um, after uh, my son and them all left the con, I had one more interview to go, and I headed over to the Marvel booth because I had a scheduled interview with Chuck Costas from uh, Marvel Studios uh, Prop Store. Now, I'm going to explain to you what Prop Store is, and then I'm going to let Chuck, and then I'll let the interview play. So Marvel is doing this thing where uh, they're partnering with this company called Prop Store, and what they're doing is, is they're taking their props on tour and showing them off, and then the props are going into auction. So they are there to purchase, and you, if you want a piece of the Marvel Universe, um, the props are all for auction. Now, <laughs> I asked him about the movies. You're going to hear his answer. Um, he, uh, he said that a lot of the movies uh, don't go into... He realized... Actually... He might have told me this off air. Um, yeah, he might have told me this off air. So if it's not in the interview, I apologize because he probably told me this after I hit the hit stopped the record. Um, but the uh, the prop store uh, because of Endgame and the issue of time travel, Marvel Studios realizes a lot of props they can't get rid of yet. So they have to basically put everything into storage until they need them for later. Um, so we. Uh, it was it was a really good interview. I liked hearing everything he had to say. Uh, so they had a lot of the because because of Endgame, a lot of the movie props can't be gotten rid of, but a lot of the show props can. So they had a lot of stuff from like the Netflix series. Um, but we talked in general about stuff. It was a cool interview. Um, so yeah, check it out. Um, uh, this is one I definitely apologize for audio on because the Marvel booth was doing this giant like game show thing, so there could be some extra background noise, which I apologize, but it was a busy day at the con, and this was show floor, um, this was show floor uh, audio. So with that being said, uh, check this out. Here's Chuck Costas from Marvel's Prop Store, and uh, enjoy the interview. All right, hi everybody. We're here with uh, Chuck Costas from uh, Prop Store, and he's doing this thing with Marvel uh, with our props. So, Chuck, you want to tell us a little about this, and then I'll start shooting some questions. So. Yeah. So uh, we've been lucky to partner with Marvel for this is now our third Marvel Television Live auction, um, and in this one, we're actually focusing on selling the props, set deck, and uh, costumes from Marvel's Punisher, the Punisher, and Marvel's The Defenders. And as part of this auction, we'll have over 500 items. Not only will we have the actual items from that were used in the uh, Marvel's The Defenders, but we'll have the ones that were in the shows that were leading up to that, which will include Marvel's Luke Cage, Marvel's Iron Fist, Marvel's Daredevil, and Marvel's Jessica Jones. So a lot of cool stuff. If you're a fan of any of those Marvel Netflix shows, there's going to be something in this auction for you. Um, do you guys get any props from the films at all? Or uh, is it we primarily do. focused on them? Yeah, what we do, shows? we do. Uh, I guess we work with a lot of different studios, and we, 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 you know, work with, um, you know, frankly, a, a lot of different places. And so we do get. Sometimes we get movies. Sometimes we get television shows. With Marvel, we're working uh, primarily with them on the television. Great. Um, while I was waiting, I was kind of looking at the props and kind of taking them in a little bit. Is there any that are you are? As I assume you're a fan of this stuff, otherwise you wouldn't Absolutely. necessarily be working here. Yeah. Um, is there any that you are specifically excited to see, like just to get your hands on or just to visually view it? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan since back in the the Punisher limited series from 1986. I was that that was sort of it for me. I've always been a Punisher fan, so to have the uh, the props, costumes, etc. from uh, Marvel's The Punisher, uh, this is really the ultimate for me. Right. Uh, being able to bring those to fans because I'm a huge fan. I really loved what they did with that show. I thought the actors on the show were fantastic. Really brought the character to life, and I think it really gave it more time to develop, which we didn't necessarily have a chance to see in the movies. Um, so you bring up the Punisher, so if you don't mind, let's walk around this real quick. Because yeah. um, you brought up the Punisher, and we have Frank Castle's costume with the vest. Um, this is something now, with the, back when you look at like the Tom Jane Punisher film that came out, 
Um, I, I always liked how he got the shirt yeah. in the movie. I thought that was a really nice touch where the kid bought him the shirt and then after the family, you know, that kind of thing. But I loved the tactical vest in the show. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it was a, a bit of an homage. I mean, I think the idea that, of painting the, the vest was something that we saw in the, Mar in the Tom Jane movie. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, we saw a, a different version of this. And this one was actually, from what I understand, it was overseen directly by Joe Casati. He actually had... Uh, oh, nice. He had direct oversight. He was an executive producer on the show and really wanted to get involved in making sure that the vests looked the way that they should be. So right. thank Joe for that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. And then I saw you had the picture, the Frank Cat, the family picture, which was almost kind of chilling to look at. Yeah. Um, just because he's got the creases, the folds in the paper. Yeah, yeah, he put that on the dashboard of his uh, Punisher battle van, which, by the way, we will actually have the Punisher oh, really? battle van. We couldn't bring it here today because it's pretty... That's pretty big. It's big, but that would have been that would have been amazing yeah, to have in the car. Yeah, but if you need you know need space, there's no uh, better way to cruise around town than in a uh, an actual supermobile. Uh, the the uh, the Punisher's uh, van, but yeah, he did put that on uh, on the dashboard of that and took that wherever he went. It was a, you know a reminder of what had happened to his family and really sort of the raison d'etre for the, you know Frank Castle being the Punisher. Right, on, very cool. Um, are there any? Um, what I always thought was interesting about when they bring costumes out. Okay, so there was like a couple of years ago I got to see um, the costumes from Hunger Games and I was like, wow, Jennifer Lawrence is much smaller than I thought she was. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's something I always thought was interesting because John Bernthal in real life looks like a much bigger guy than this costume. Really? Like, I, I, well, compared to the other ones, it I mean, actually stands out. I mean, compared to the, the size of Jessica Jones' costume over there, he, he towers over her. Oh, absolutely. Um, I just, when I look at it, I'm like, maybe it's just the way they shoot it. You know what I mean? Like low angles, whatever. He just always seemed bigger to me in person. Yeah, well, and the camera the does costume. add 10 pounds at least. I mean, so, uh, and with that vest, it may be another 50 pounds. But no, I mean, I think he's a, you know, he's a well-built guy. Uh, I don't think I would fit necessarily in his costume. Uh, I'm a six foot, six foot three myself. But he's a, I think he's a relatively large guy, but not not the hugest guy. Right. He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fantastic. So I assume <laughs> of the shows. Uh, Punisher was your favorite. That your was, yeah, but I also think of, um, it, you know, the the lead up to that, if you want to look at it in Marvel's Daredevil, also a fantastic show. I, I thought all three seasons of those really continued to build and add, and by the time we got to that third season, that, that was, uh, you know, really just the, the, the way that they had sort of built up Bullseye and and the, the relationship between him and the Kingpin and what would happen with uh, Daredevil, just thought that was really awesome. So, I, you know, go back and watch all those. Uh, you know, those are, those are my, my favorite too. But, you know, I think it was great that they had this idea of creating the, you know, the Defenders and, and Marvel's Defenders brought all the characters back together or together for the first time, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, but, you know, the idea, when you see all the costumes and everything together, you realize that they had this idea in mind that they were going to bring these characters together, how they would all fit together. And they actually reused the costumes from those early seasons when they put Marvel's The Defenders together. Nice. And so there's actually, there's crossover, I guess. Some of the costumes were used both, say, in, in uh, Daredevil, you know, Marvel Daredevil season two, and then moved into Marvel's Defenders. Right, instance. awesome. This is um, one of the things about Daredevil that I loved, and I thought it was was the first costume. Yeah. Like that original, like the black over, like the blunt, like the bandana over the eyes and like the ropes on the gloves. And I yeah. was like, I was really like all for that. And then they went to the, eventually the comic look and I was almost like, can you guys go back? That was such a cool look. Well, they sort of did. Characters. They kind of went back to it in season three yeah. where they, they distinguished, you know, decks from that. But I think you'll notice in season three, they added the uh, sort of the white undertone. If you look at it, they yeah, added yeah, yeah. some subtle hints. 
and really for that, the design was they wanted to introduce the character, you know, his mother being a, being a nun, and they wanted to, to sort of uh, emote a nun's costume through that through Daredevil's costume. Sure. And so the Mai Tai gloves and other things were nice ads for season three that distinguished that black costume from season three from what we, what we saw in season one. Yeah, well this is a uh, pretty impressive collection. So everything's through Marvel Store, Mar uh, Prop Shop though, right? Prop Store, PropStore.com. Prop yeah, okay. if you go to PropStore.com slash Marvel, uh, that's where you can find our auction. It's going to take place in June. Uh, the full catalog of over 500 lots is going to be available in the May time frame. And we'll actually have a cool printed catalog as well that people can order uh, in the May time frame as well. So keep keep your eyes out for that. Nice. Now, if let's say I wanted Frank Castle's vest, yes. just if ballpark it, where do they start the bidding on that one? I know I can't afford it. I'm just curious. Like, yeah, I'll, you know, honestly, that's the one I'm most interested to see. I think the, the in, in our first auction, we offered the... The, the classic red Daredevil costumes, and those were those were selling between thirty-five and sixty-five thousand. Wow, that's um, awesome! So a lot, and there's a lot of work that goes into those. There's special fabric, etc. I mean, I think the the Punisher's uh, costume is probably. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily in the same ballpark, but I, I don't know how people, it's really up to the fans to, to figure out how much right. they're willing and to pay for these. The novelty of the screen use prop anyway, like I totally understand that. You know, you hear about Star Wars props going for like, you know, yeah. ungodly amounts of money, and you're just like, well, yeah, and there's, there's the novelty that it was used on screen, and that's something that, you know, people yeah. can have at their house, and be like, hey, yeah. you know, I'm a fan, and I love this thing, and... Yeah, and the so. good news is we'll have three of the uh, the, the Punisher vests, so there's not just one. So the, right. the good news is that the, he does get uh, different bullet bullet wounds and other types of things. So there right. there are actually different vests that you can win. Uh, and same thing with uh, Marvel's the the, uh, the Daredevil costumes for Marvel's Daredevil. We'll have uh, three different versions, as you alluded to. There was a season one version of the costume. Then he gets shot by Frank Castle in season two, and he gets a sort of a, a stitched up version of that costume. We'll have that, and then we'll also have the one that eventually goes right. on to the Defenders. Um, Jessica Jones, um, I saw you have the uh, you have the flash drive over we here. We do. Right? Yes, we have the yellow. Yellow so flash drive. David Tennant was just a such a wonderful casting choice for that show. Like just a chilling performance. But out of curiosity, so let's say I were to like bid on the flash drive and I get it. Is the photo actually on the flash drive? Or is uh, it just we, you a know, prop? for uh, well, you know, actually there were some when we went through some of these things. There were actually photos from the set. We had to delete those just oh, okay. for for uh, actor. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that that, that, that approved uh, photos aren't necessarily out there. So sure. you won't get those actual uh, well, the video that was on the, on the flash it was drive. Just because the the placard says with photo and I was like well you're getting the, I see that it comes with the photo but I was wondering like, uh, hey I have the actual you know what I mean yeah the amazing. and what we've done for some of the lots is we paired those items so we actually paired in this case yellow hard drive with the I see you later photo which Kilgrave yeah, yeah, yeah. also uh, is associated with so you get both of those things to put in your collection together right right yeah very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Chuck, it was a fantastic talking to you. I'm yeah. not going to take up too much more of your time. So um, this was a great, I'm just viewing these things. Just, these are just beautiful. Yeah, and I think you for know? people that aren't here at C2E2, you can go online again at propstore.com slash marble. We have a preview gallery. We're going to continue to add to that as time goes by. And if people go out right now and register um, at that same site, we're actually giving away two prizes. We're giving away Frank Castle's uh, season two. There's one of his black costumes from season two of Marvel's The Punisher. And we're giving away a, a newspaper, a New York Bulletin newspaper featuring Daredevil from Marvel's Daredevil. So two really cool prizes you can win. All you have to do is register. You don't actually have to, to win or buy anything. Awesome. Um, but you know, hopefully then you're all set to go when the auction takes place in June. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, Hey, Chuck. thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Okay, and we're back. Um, 
So for you, this was a lengthy episode because you got to sit through those interviews. For me, this is probably the shortest episode I've ever recorded um, because I just recorded intros. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed what you heard. Um, I look forward to doing C2E2 again and again. As many times as I can, I'll do it because um, I like bringing the audio to you guys, and I don't want to leave any fans behind. If you can't go to the con, I'd like to try and bring it to you in a way. But these are just some things that caught my attention and made me interested, and I really wanted to see how... And I, and I wanted to see, because everyone takes their con in different strides, and we all look at different things when we're there. So, um, with that being said, um, I'm going to call it a night. Um, it was a good episode for me. I hope it was for you guys. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, so, if you guys could, check us out at our website, topfivereport.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, topfivereport at gmail.com. Uh, you can interact with the show by hitting us up on our social media or emailing the show. Either way works for us. Uh, we are on Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you subscribe to us, you will not miss a single episode, and you can leave us a review. We love the five stars, but we also understand criticism because it helps us get better, and it makes the words we say sound important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter usually has a joke here, but since he's not with me tonight, uh, we'll call it a day. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode, and uh, next week we'll be back with our normal scheduled episode, and we'll be discussing our top five favorite police films. Um, and uh, I'll see you next week for the Top 5 Report. I'm Drew, and thank you for listening. Good night. Good night.